0: I mean, people laugh at me when I get like lemur poop, you know, down my back when I'm catching lemurs and, uh, you know, but I don't find that funny. Toss them overboard
1: when you're sitting having lunch or you know just anything like that's <laughs> the classic right <laughs> we actually were joking about setting up an only fins account
0: here's to us all swimming through the ship and making more sense of it and unprotected. Planet Earth we neglect it. I, nature sexy we need these place so please respect it
1: hey everyone welcome back to this week's episode of the wild and unprotected podcast. On today's show, we have Susan Inman. She is the Mid-Coast Advocate for 100 Miles Off the Coast of Georgia. Susan, welcome to the show.
0: You got it. Thank you, guys.
2: Yeah, thanks for hopping on the show with us, Susan.
1: Yeah, this should be a fun one. We're looking forward to uh, diving into what 100 Miles the organization is and uh, what your role is. So uh, without further ado, can you um, really just... Give the audience a little bit about you and what you do at 100 miles and what a mid-coast advocate is.
0: Right. So we are 100 miles and we get our, we get our name from the 100 miles of, of the coast of Georgia. A lot of people just forget that Georgia, one, has a coast, but we also have barrier islands. And so we work to protect all of that. And what I do as a mid-coast is I focus on the two middle counties within the coast, and so specifically those that now would be MacIntosh County and Liberty County, and so, and what that does is we work to protect our communities, our national environment through education, advocacy, and civic engagement, and we, re- we really find that the combination of those three things really make us successful and different than like a riverkeeper or any other type of um, environmental or conservation organization.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. Especially to have like, you know, your focus on those three things alone. I'm sure they overlap in many different ways. Um, and you know, having that trifecta gives you something to lean on, uh, when one thing isn't as uh, adventurous as the other. Um, can we talk a little bit about your advocacy, um, and you know, what you do to get the, uh, the community engaged in protecting a hundred miles of the coast?
0: Yeah. So the, it's really interesting because being an advocate, just that's like a really broad topic um, because that's everything from zoning, which isn't a whole lot of fun to talk about. But that's where your basis of uh, like pollution can occur. Let's say you're having a large transformational development from agricultural to industrial. Like that's a big change. And on the coast of Georgia, we're, we're a large. We have a large percentage of wetlands. And so all the connective tissue to everything from our land to our water, it's one. And then our communities that have lived there for many generations. So like I said, zoning is not as glamorous, but yet you have your pollution to your water, you also have your land pollution, and then you also have your wildlife that live within that um, that environment. And so you have to protect all of that. And then your communities live in there. So what your animals are experiencing, your communities are directly experiencing also.
2: Yeah, it's, it's wild how everything is so interconnected in the state of Georgia. Um, I'm I'm from the East Coast, so I, I had knowledge of Georgia having a coastline and, and even, you know, the coastal islands. But moving out to the West Coast now where I'm at, um, I don't think anyone knew that there was a coastal border for Georgia. And then on top of that, to have early discussions about, you know, 100 miles being on the show, they're like, what? Every Everything is kind of connected um, throughout Georgia and it leads out directly into the Atlantic. And you're like, yep. That that would be the case. That's why this organization exists. So it's it's cool one to see that you guys are getting the local uh, community involved, but it's also you know cool to talk about it from a larger perspective and show that it's it's a lot more than just uh, uh, Atlanta.
0: Yeah, it, it really is. And. Uh, our, our coastal folks, we, we call ourselves coasties, kind of like the coast guard, but we call ourselves coasties. And, uh, a lot of people in Atlanta just don't know that we're here. And so we really define ourselves in a few different areas. Atlanta's their own definition. Uh, then we have our Piedmont, which is our middle Georgia. And then we have our coast. And actually when I was in Utah and I, I was looking just to expand what I was doing. Um, someone said, there's an island off the coast of Georgia. And I went, huh? Like I didn't know either. I didn't know either because I was not originally from the, the western part of or the western part of uh, the Mississippi River. So it's you know it's it's something. And once you move here, it's the it's the connectivity of the people to the land to the way of life, and uh, that's that's what I love.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. And you mentioned, <clears throat> excuse me, you mentioned that island off the coast of Georgia. Is that Saint Catharines Island?
0: Yeah, that's that's where that's exactly where I moved to. So I was working out in Salt Lake City, uh, at an aviary, and doing a little bit with Hawkwatch International. So birds, just working birds. And this guy I was working with, uh, he's like he his one of his favorite birds are hornbills, the Asian hornbills. So it's really large, long bill, small feet. Uh, pretty just really good birds, but um, their population is obviously declining because they're southeast. These were ones that are specifically to Southeast Asia. And so he's like, well, there's this breeding facility off the coast of Georgia on an island. You can only take a boat to get there. He's like, you need to apply there. You need to do this. And so, of course, I have a problem of not saying no to adventure. And they're going to give me housing. They're going to pay me a salary. So what? I didn't really have a reason to say no um, if they offered me the job. And they did. And so that's how I first moved to Georgia. And... (laughs) I don't know. I just, I, they told me they need, you need to get a boat to get over there, but I didn't realize I need to bring everything that I needed, like my clothes and everything onto a boat over there. I don't know. It just, it's just kind of blew my mind of, of the private Island. Uh, a lot of people refer to it as Jurassic Park, because at the time there was free ranging lemurs, tons of bird species, reptile species. There was uh hoofstock as in zebras, antelopes, all these exotic, uh, most of them endangered species on this island that are there to breed and to get over the hump of being endangered. Uh, and so it was, it was phenomenal. Um, and that's, that's how I got hooked in Georgia. I, was, I realized that it's, uh, I was very spoiled because uh, a lot of people don't get to experience it in the way I have. So I'm very grateful.
1: Wow. Yeah. That sounds like a magical place. I couldn't imagine seeing that many different types of animals, On an island (laughs) would would
0: yeah and they're all endangered or are threatened and you know so if you work in a zoo or even um in the in your natural environment like in the in the wild with these animals you know that they're in peril and then all of a sudden there's so many of them on this island that's 10 miles by four miles and they're not all over it's very concentrated because right efficiency uh because you have to have water you know staff running around And so, but it was still so many species and the the people that came there were experts. Um, And the final goal was to eventually get them back into their natural environment. So the end game of it was was a relief. It wasn't just there for a display. Um, And the lemurs learned how to be free ranging lemurs again. And so they're running around pooping on things and just themselves but they learned how to alarm call they learned how to climb trees they learned what predators were they knew um what plants they could eat in georgia um but of course they didn't have enough in georgia to eat so we always we always uh would have to provide them with extra food but anyways i mean it was it was a really good opportunity and to experience that lemurs can or animals can learn to go back into their natural environment if they have an environment to go to
1: it's that running theme that we keep mentioning and that keeps showing up on, on the show is, you know, the importance and the end goal of that, of that release, you know, of being able to rescue, not only rescue, but rehab animals and then release them into healthy habitats where they can thrive. So it sounds like St. Catherine's Island is something that definitely models that and that your organization focuses on. And I think it's really important, you know, to kind of dive into that further. Um, can we kind of shift gears into, what the day in and day out of your organization looks like. I know you mentioned zoning and, you know, construction impacts and everything like that. But what is um what is like, you know, a Monday through Friday? Because you mentioned you don't really have weekends um, off and you got something coming up this weekend. What is uh, what is the day in and day out look like?
0: Uh, so my day in and day out completely varies because um, it also depends on which project I'm working on. So um, like this weekend, I happened to be invited to come to a, a plant sale, native plant sale. I know that sounds weird. And, you know, how do we be, how are we involved in this? But it, it does play into it because native wildlife.
2: Like selling plants?
0: Yeah, like a lot of people are growing native plants to sell them to people. And um, and so you set up booths and you can... Um, Put out your projects so you can inform these people who are typically environmentally focused already on your projects that so they may know about you they may not they may not know about all the projects that i'm working on and so uh, but native plants plays into it because it has everything to do with water use it has everything to do with how your yard is designed has to do with land management um you know all of that so so it does play into it it's a little bit of a stretch but um it's really good because two of the projects that I'm going to be focusing on for this county where this plant sale is is one is a zoning issue where uh, the native Gullah folks are actually um, under threat to this new zoning where they're going to be allowed to or not them, but new developers are going to be able to allowed to come in to build like these mini mansions um, on this barrier island called Sapelo Island. And that is eventually going to once you have bigger houses in a historic district, you raise you end up raising taxes for the people that can't afford it. And you put you push out the basically your indigenous indigenous folks. And so we're trying to repeal that vote that just occurred for this zoning action. And so that's one way of the of zonings that I'll be fighting that. So I have to explain zoning explain what this petition is, um, but also get people involved to support your communities. Um, but then also, uh, there's another initiative that I'm starting in this county, it's it's called uh, Dark Skies. So it's about smart lighting. It's not about no lighting, it's about smart lighting. And what that will do is if some of the islands, you have sea turtles, so it affects your sea turtles coming in, but this county doesn't have that type of beach, it's further off. Their islands are further off. And so you can get to a beach, but you need a boat. So your average person needs to have smart lighting for better uh, sky, visually, like stars to view view your constellations is what I'm trying to say. Um, And it's also a way to bring in tourism, but it causes little to no infrastructure because you want your dark spots within your county. And so that's what the process we're going through right now is like measuring in our dark spots within the county so we can advertise this is a dark spot area. You know, it's just like birding. You need a telescope or just come out and have a conversation with uh, someone that knows the stars. And uh, it's it's just a great initiative to for ecotourism in this county um, and to move it forward. And and then also dark skies help animals and it's, you know, helps the wildlife and helps your neighbors not get mad at you when your spotlight is shining in the window. But, uh, (laughs) you know, but it has like all these layers to it. And, you know, we say it's to look at stars, but realistically it's about animals. It's also about wildlife. It's just about light pollution in general. Um, And we're losing that on the coast. Uh, This, this County is one of our last counties that we can actually have a dark sky. And so we need to change policy to keep our lighting smart.
2: I didn't know how rare dark sky designations were um, until you and I had talked about it um, a little bit ago. Um, And being on the West Coast, kind of like I had said, there's hardly any locations out in the West Coast that aren't. You know just desert dwellings that have dark sky designations so i i think it's it's really cool kind of from a tourist perspective just to know that you can kind of go out and sit under the stars and just enjoy nature you know as it's intended instead of you know worrying about light pollution like you said sound pollution inhabitants. And, you know, I, I, understand, you know, the, the smart lighting portion of things. Um, and, and that's definitely a good way to sell it to people. Um, you have to transition them somehow away from what everyone's used to, to, you know, kind of dark sky. So I understand, you know, people are probably hesitant at first, like we can't have any lights on after nine. This is America. We, we can do what we want. This is freedom.
0: Exactly. Exactly. They're, Cause that's a big thing in Georgia is like, don't tell us what to do with our property. I was like, "Well, be a good neighbor. How about that? How about that? Be a good neighbor." Um, so, yeah, I get that a lot. It's always about, "Don't tell me what to do with my property," um, and and I, you know, it's 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 a struggle, yeah, for sure.
1: Yeah, and you know, it sounds like it sounds like a lot of the work that you do is you know not only in the field, but most of that is to protect and change policy. Um, would you say that? that's more dirty work than actually being out in the field.
0: Oh gosh. Well, honestly, you need both. Like it's uh, be, uh, being out the field is definitely hot, sweaty bugs in Georgia. Like we talk, when we talk about our islands, we talk about which bug is going to bite you. Um, <laughs> you know, it's so, and cause it changes. It's either a sand nap mosquito or the rattlesnakes are going to chase you. Um but uh, oh, um, sounds lovely. <laughs> yeah, it sounds good. Come to Georgia at night. Um but it really it really you have to change policy to make your bigger difference because you can sit and fight one polluter on your river, but what they're doing is typically they're doing it under the regulations that are set, you know, and they're just having their occasional higher than regulation spills. So they're legally allowed to put their byproducts in our rivers because Georgia, we have a very large tidal change daily. Our tidal change, if you're in the center, center part of our uh, the Georgia Bight, our tidal change, each each tide is can be 10 feet. Wow. Sometimes 12 at our spring tides. And so that's a polluter's dream. You know, the solution to pollution is dilution. So their, their favorite time to put their byproducts in the river is, is at a high spring tide outgoing because it's being diluted. So me as someone, if I was on the ground testing, I would have a very hard time proving that they're releasing more byproduct than what they're allowed to. Wow. So, that's hard. Uh,
1: that's, yeah, that's hard so, to track so it's there. quite a
0: challenge. Yeah, it's, it's, it's quite a challenge. And so you need to have both. And that's what makes cooperation within multiple nonprofits, state organizations, um, colleges, and universities, vital to have your diversity sitting at your table fighting your issues, because I'm better at fighting policy, but someone's better at the science, and then someone better is, you know, maybe talking with the community. But realistically, if I'm doing policy, I have to be connected to the community, because that's Policy change usually comes with a vote, right? And if I don't have the community behind any of this, it's not going to fly. It's not going to fly. Yeah,
2: you're just a lone woman talking at that point.
0: Exactly. And, and they'll and they just be like, we've heard this before. And they're like, who's that tree hugger? Yeah, exactly. 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 I and hear so,
2: Fuck that bitch. She doesn't want me to turn my lights on. <laughs> yeah. And then on top of that, I can't throw my shit in the river. I'll do what I want. Is this
1: your South Georgia accent coming out? (laughs) Uh, This is just everything. And
2: he's got
0: to hunker down, too, to say that.
1: (laughs) You got to get real deep in there. Yeah, you got to get real
0: dirty. You got to get real dirty.
2: (laughs) Shoulders got to come up. Got to gain 100 pounds because gravity's way harsher over there. God damn it. This woman's telling me what to do again.
0: Well, actually, like, when I first come up, like, if I'm docking my boat or putting my boat on the trailer – they don't, first of all, they don't expect a woman. Okay. First of all, they don't expect a woman. So if I dock it, they're like, oh, wh- where'd, where'd you come from?
1: Where'd, where'd you learn that?
0: Yeah. Like, oh, you you did that pretty good. And I was like, uh, yeah, I, you know. That's you forget family.
2: how behind the times they are. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, women can do this too. Watch me tie this, this uh, knot too.
0: Well, I mean, honestly, realistically, like Georgia, you know, bless our hearts. We're, we're a little behind um like the island that i worked on
2: bless our hearts
0: (laughs) like the island i worked on it was only 30 maybe 40 years ago that they allowed women to drive their boats and that was yeah because they they just they just didn't do it the the superintendent beforehand just didn't let women do it and he said they couldn't do it but then when the new superintendent came on whom i was on the island with, he's like, no, my wife is going to learn how to drive. And when my girls are big enough, they're going to know how to drive, you know. And so then when I first moved out there, he's like, oh, you're from Minnesota. You're you're fine. And I'm like, <laughs> I was fine driving and piloting the boat and finding my way through, you know, through all the rivers and the sandbars. What was the trickiest part, though, was the wind and the tidal change all the time.
1: <laughs> yeah, you don't want to get stuck out there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That was always, that was, that that was my learning curve, but you know, I find it as a challenge and you know, like the one guy that I worked with, he's like, Sue, we got bumpers on the dock. Use them. I'm like, yes, sir. (laughs)
1: That's (laughs) what they're there for. They call them (laughs) rub rails.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you just, that wind and we had covered boats so it was kind of like a sail and it would just kind of push us against the dock a little harder, but you know, if you're just respective of equipment and stuff, the men that I worked with on the the men that I worked with on the island were good. Um, a few other ones weren't so good, but they, but again, if they didn't work on there, I just, you know, had the superintendent you know, had a little conversation with them. Um, so, so I, I always had someone have my back and, but yeah, it was, it's always interesting at, at landings. People don't expect a woman. And then, and then after I, I talked to them cause I, I talked to everybody, if you're nice, um, then I usually get marriage proposals too. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. So yeah, my friends that are women and we drive boats, we, we know which docks we're going to get our most marriage proposals from.
1: Uh, oh man.
2: Of, yeah. Oh, that there pretty woman. I'm gonna make her my wife. She knows how to drive
1: a boat. That's the South for you.
0: It, I mean, it's changing and they they see us more and more around and, you know, there's just as many guys on sandbars. I don't know how many women I've actually seen on a sandbar stuck on a sandbar, or
2: might not end up too well. You get trapped on the sandbar with the need help.
0: Nope, just keep going, keep going. The tide will come back. That's a good thing in Georgia. It's like if you if you do hit a sandbar, you just have to sit there in shame, uh, usually, and wait till the tide comes back up. Some people don't wait and they and they call the sea tow and they call sea or tow or towboat. But if you just wait the tide will come back uh, and, and you'll be, you'll be fine. But um,
2: instead of the walk of shame, it's the weight of
1: shame.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it, it is. It is. Sometimes you just don't call anybody to pull you off because you'd rather wait and not deal with the
1: Drink the rest of the beer in the cooler. You're good. Yep. You are yep. fine. Might as well go search for some shark teeth.
0: <laughs> yeah. Do something, you know, just, it's, you know, it, uh, yeah. I've only, I've only, I've personally only stuck in my boat once, um, but that's because I was dropping someone off and I um, stayed there too long because I was just looking at things. And then I was like, I'm stuck. And so he comes back ready to go. I'm like, Yeah, no, we're not going anywhere. We're stuck. He's like, You know <laughs> Susan? <laughs> he, knows
1: he, was he, was he was out of cigarettes.
0: He was mad because he was out of cigarettes. But it was my <laughs> fault. It was my fault. So I did have to buy him a beer.
1: <laughs> oh, man. Well, that's, uh, uh, let's, let's take a step back. I, thank you for you know, diving into 100 Miles and kind of explaining you know, your day in and day out and talking about some policies, some things that you're changing, and active projects. Um, let's talk about Susan. Let's go back into the childhood. Let's go into the depths of what makes Susan get up in the morning. Like, Why did you start this, and how did you get to where you are? I think uh, the audience would love to know.
0: Oh, so that's always interesting. And when I start talking about this, people, um, they do lean in because it's so nonlinear. It's um, and it's it's kind of hard to to for some people to follow because it's so not linear. But um, I was actually born in Denver and that's where my dad's side of the family is. And then my family split and my mom took us, me and my brother, back to Minnesota where her family is from. And I lived there for about, you know, junior or uh, let's say elementary school, middle school. And then we moved just uh, Minnesota, southwest part of Minnesota. So it's like Minnesota, South Dakota. And then um, we ended up moving across the state lines to South Dakota. And that's where I spent my high school and college years. And so um, when I was there, it's, it's pretty tough to be Native um, or to look native. I didn't grow up on a reservation, but reservations are all around us. I, I am native, but it was, it was really tough. So I was always like, you don't, you really shouldn't make it. Don't make a speech like just to stay down, you know, and don't, don't really do a whole lot. Just do better when people call you, you know, call you slang words like dog and all that. Like, I wasn't allowed to fight back and that's really tough. It's tough and it's not fair. And so when it was up to me and I played sports, so I did really well in sports. And, and so I like, I was, I was a good kid. Um, but then when it came time for me to figure myself out, you know, in college, I did the college thing. I did biology, uh, minor in chemistry and zoology. And then I just started moving around uh, because all these wildlife biology jobs were being offered to me. And at the time they were paying and they're giving the housing. And so I was just like I had a car and so I made a rule for a few rules for myself and that was I need to have a roof over my head. I need to have some type of funding to feed myself and some type of funding to make my car go and stay <laughs> going. And those those that was it. And so at that point I moved to the southwest part of Ohio. Again, it was I didn't know what I was doing, never really been to Ohio before, but again, I was offered a job at a Raptor Center, Outdoor Education Center, and they're giving me graduate, graduate credits besides housing and a stipend. I mean, what's not to say no to? So uh, I did that for two years or something, something like that. And then, yeah, so then I was about 20, Oh, I don't know. I was young and I kind of just got nervous. I didn't want to. My whole goal with the uh, master's degree was to start my own outdoor school. So like kids for science and math, but stay outside. And I kind of got scared because I was young and I me start a whole school like my brain wasn't ready for it. So then I looked into a job out in Utah so I was like, well, maybe I just need to go to Utah, experience more outdoor schools out there. I don't know. I don't know. But that's where I got a job at an aviary. And then I also lived at Hawkwatch International House where and that's where uh, they did outdoor studies, mist nets of raptors and education programs, too. So I just really fell into the bird world uh, in that way. And I stayed out there for a while. But Utah's pretty tough uh, for a uh, non non uh, Mormon uh, person <laughs> and I was not a nat- I was not a Utah native so it was tough uh, so I knew just it didn't fit me it didn't fit me I love the people that I worked with I love the job but it wasn't me so that's where my friend Rusty that I worked with he's like man if I was younger didn't have his wife and you know having kids and he's like I'd go to this island off the coast of Georgia and again I didn't know about an island out of Georgia. I didn't really know, but he hyped it up. I talked to the people, they hyped it up. And then they offered me a job. So I moved from Utah. So I went from Ohio to Utah, Utah to Georgia.
2: Just all over the damn place.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like it makes no sense. It makes no sense. makes no sense. And, um, yeah. And then on this Island I worked with all these exotic birds, hornbills, cranes, um, parrots my dog's coming in now parrots um just everything and then they had iguanas and then they had zebras and antelope and harder beast and then they had free-ranging a few different types of free-ranging lemurs and it was just it was wild and so my brain was just like absorbing trying to absorb all this crazy but it was scientific it was structured and so this was really like my element I was, I was, I, and I lived out on, on this private Island too. So, um, oh, wow.
1: and not to mention that's a ton of new information as well. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious yeah. how, how hard was it for you to adjust from mountains to just straight up salt water and salt water, and salt marsh? And, um, hot,
0: hot, hotness, yeah. like humidity, the
1: humidity, yeah,
0: humidity. Yeah. I went from dry <laughs> to like, Being at 90% humidity all the time. I mean, it was, I I guess I wasn't afraid of sweating and being outdoors. And, you know, it was, it was, it was a challenge for me to not have a place to go hiking though, or it's like to go for, like to go for a walk. Like in Georgia, is this, you know, it's just, it's straight. Um, And so that, so that was like played with my mind. And so, but you just did activities differently. So you would go into your kayak to go around the island into the the little creeks and all that or you'd go fishing um off the docks and the island's cool because you have your ocean side and then you have your marsh side right so those are two completely different environments and they constantly change due to the tidal change in georgia too so that alone is also mind-blowing just learning the natural environment or i'd go through the island or in mainland georgia to go birding because I fell into the bird nerd world. And so I just, I was just trying to absorb everything because again, I was used to moving around every few years. So I didn't know I was going to stay here or not. Uh, yeah. You know, if someone wants to offer me an, another job with, you know, all every, all of my rules. I, I usually said yes. Um, and so, but when I moved here, I kind of, I kind of stayed here um, until uh, so so I got an internship on the island, um, but then there was two different parties. There's the owners of the island, and then there was the people that ran the zoo, and that was the New York Zoological Society. And that, that was like a really cool, um, I guess it's uh, like a group, uh, because not only do they have zoos and aquariums, but they also had these places that were special, that were uh, considered breeding areas or areas of less um, public contact to give animals space, to give them comfort to do what they need to do in order to get back to their natural environments. And that's what St. Catherine's was. Um, But then there was a fight in between the two entities. And so they were cutting, cutting the fat uh, of the staff. And I was one that got cut. And so at that point, I was working with two other people that worked at SeaWorld in Orlando and they called the curator down there and they said, Hey, we got this person you need to hire. So all of a sudden Sherry calls me or was it Julie, uh, the curator or the assistant curator calls me and she's like, well, we haven't seen your resume come across our desk yet. And I went, excuse me. Um, like I, I didn't know this was going on until they call me like, they, like they're asking me for my resume. I'm like, I didn't know. Um, yes, ma'am. I will get it to you right now. Um, But I I really had a, like, inner debate with myself, right? Because I moved, you know, I'm from Minnesota, you know, Colorado, Utah. I thought Georgia was going to be the hottest place I was ever going to work because I didn't know I'd be able to handle it. But then um, one of them said, well, you'll be working with penguins probably to start off with. So you're working in a big freezer. I was like, oh, well, I can move to Florida now and work because I'll be working in the freezer. Uh, long story short, I ended up working in uh, SeaWorld Orlando for six years uh, with their birds, and uh, it was phenomenal. But again, I'm not a big city Orlando type person, and so I ended up moving back up here to Georgia, and that's where I am. And but then I've kind of like so I moved back up to St. Catharines again because they are rehiring, restructuring, and then um, it just I needed a, I needed a change, right? Um, I needed a change from just the not making a difference anymore or maybe maybe it was I wasn't learning anymore I I don't really know what it was in me that made that change to an advocate um and so after being a biologist um, with exotics and natives here in Georgia I made the change to be an advocate to fight for the water and the land that these animals need Uh, because my job as a biologist was not pointless but it didn't have that ending to it. it um, it's it's kind of just mucking around, and I needed to have.
2: It felt like knowledge without action. Right? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: And you needed to have that other piece, and that it just wasn't there. And so that's where I. That's why. I, I <laughs> hit their feet. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, I, so uh, my one dog, he's he's 80 pounds, so he's got these long legs. And I'm like, well, I should put a runner in, in the hallway. But then I'm like, no, because he'll just go faster and then just slide into the front door. <laughs> so, yeah, every time they hear a FedEx or whatever, they got to go tell them. Go, well, I mean, they're right here, but then they wrench the door.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, so, oh, man, that's okay. Look how good I did protecting the yeah, house.
0: Yeah, fantastic, guys, even though it's through, through the door. but yeah now they're coming back like
1: we're done before we get too far into this week's episode i wanted to give a quick shout out to our sponsor our sponsor this week is you our listeners how well now that we're a nonprofit, the donations that we receive go directly towards funding our shows want to help or need more information visit wildscapeproduction.com backslash donate to support the show we're so thankful for the support you make the show exactly what it is so yeah, that's a that's an interesting journey. You know, I'm, I'm grateful that you were able to hop around and then end up, you know, in a place that felt more like you, where you felt like you're making a bigger impact and truly, you know, fulfilling work in terms of what makes you happy. Um, I think that's super important in this space, because, you know, you could, like Ethan said earlier, uh, have that passion without the action. And it just becomes like knowledge without power. Um, so being able to fight for something bigger than a specific species or, you know, this or that you were able to look at it as a whole and say, Hey, I want to protect all of this. So kudos to you for finding that journey. And, you know, it seems like you're on a very impactful one as we speak. Um, but I want to talk about something particularly special, um, and just always interesting to talk about, and, uh, that is your redfish population and your redfish, um, protection can you dive into all the things you do for redfish
0: yeah so again again it, it all goes back to policy um but what happened in um 2019 was there was a um large cargo ship that actually capsized in our in one of our sounds on the coast of georgia and with that i was running around to marinas just making sure everybody was okay making sure that um they had numbers to if they see any oil that they can contact me. And so I ran into uh, this one marina and these fishermen they're like, yes, we need you to not only do this, but let me tell you about redfish. And again, like I worked on St. Catherine's, very uh, remote. So I didn't know there was a problem with redfish. Um, But the guys that I ran into are charter fishermen. And that's what they do. They not they not only are fly fishmen, they also do real. So you can't just like peg them to one type of um, charter because they they do it they do it all. But they're saying that there was a huge decline. They were seeing a huge decline in the redfish. They just weren't seeing them anymore in the areas that they have fished for twenty years. You know, and some of them even longer than that. They just weren't seeing it. Just weren't seeing it. And so we started looking at the bigger picture, right? Uh, We started looking at policy. We started looking at, well, when was the last time Georgia had a regulation change for redfish? (laughs) Well, to our surprise, uh, and it's a debate, it's either 30 years or 20 years ago, they made a change. Like 30 years ago, they established a limit of five per person, right? And then 20 years ago, they changed the the slot size um, from 14 to 27, so slot size is your catching limit. Um, of what you can keep, and then they switched it to 14 to 23. So 20 years ago, they made that change, but the fishermen are they're like they're like the canaries in a coal mine, saying this is this there's something's going on. You need the the CRD, which is their coastal um, resources division, uh, that they need to make a change. And you also look at um, the state because you know you manage per state, but also redfish is also a regional fish. Managed regionally. So you look at, okay, well, what are our partners doing? And you look at South Carolina, they're at two fish per person plus a boat limit. Um, And then North Florida, Northeast Florida is also at, well, they're now at one fish per person plus a boat limit of, I think it's four. Um, And meanwhile, Georgia, we're at five fish per person, no boat limit. So you can have six people on your boat, 30 fish each day. So what Georgia folks are doing or what they've been doing is they find a school of redfish of like 100. They go there one day, pick 30, another day, pick another 30. So in three days, that fish, that pot of fish is gone, is gone, is erased. And how is this regionally managed? Why is Georgia the fat kid at the table taking everybody's fish? because it's obviously managed regionally because these fish do travel, which science has figured that out because you can tag them and you can read tags now. Um, But also Northeast Florida and South Carolina have also put a crap ton of money into hatchery fishes, but yet they're having a lower regulation. So we're getting all these fishes from the other states and we're just like, we don't have a problem, you know, um, it's, it, it was mind, mind blowing. So we started getting, um, our fishermen together, right? You have to work with communities. You have to work with your specific communities. So we targeted our fishermen and we said, and it's, it's a really big difference. Cause again, hundred miles is a big difference, especially in Georgia coast. You got Georgia bite. You, um, the North coast is on the South Carolina side, the South coast, you're on Northeast Florida, so there's a big difference between the two. And a lot of times when we, when we talk about fishes, the North Coast does not agree with the South Coast because it's really different water, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we started bringing this conversation to the South Coast first, they came together and the majority agreed. We brought the same conversation to the North Coast and they are also were agreeing with this. So when you bring... The two entities that are usually fighting together and they're agreeing, that's a problem. That's a problem. And so that's where 100 Miles came in and we really brought them in together to come up with, well, what do you want? This is who we talk to. This is who we're going to go to because this is where it's a policy change. It's not just you do it because you want to do it, even though a lot of the charter fishermen were. Um. They just it needed to change it for everybody. And, and that's, that's kind of like where we started. And that was two years ago, two years ago. Um, it's, and it's not easy because it's not, it wasn't a majority. Um, and when we first brought up the subject to our DNR, they were like, no, go sit down. They were yelling at the fishermen. They were not agreeing with us. They're saying, don't work with 100 miles. They're just instigators. Uh, so they tried bad-mouthing me, but at that point they already knew, um, my work through oil spills with the capsized cars and, and all that they they knew I wasn't backing off and we knew we were on the right track when someone pushes back on you with, with no, um, good reason. Right. Mm -hmm. And then, so we ended up pushing CRD to hold, um, to look at their data again and also hold town halls. And they did that. They did that and they actually put a proposal out and, uh, to change the uh, fish per person and also um, the fish per boat. And it, they proposed a change from three from five to three fish per person. And we, we were okay with that. We prefer two or one, but we, we were okay with a change. And then also a vessel limit. They're actually going to limit the boats to nine fish. So from 30 fish to nine fish. And that's a big change. That's a big change from someone that started off cursing at us, calling me a liar, calling, you know, just just doing all these other things besides looking at the data.
2: Personal attacks, which is crazy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, it was nuts. Um, But then they made this proposal and uh, and when DNR um, makes this type of proposal, it has to go out for public comment. So again, that's me. That's, that's me trying to get, uh, we have these tools that we can send these electronic uh, like letters to everybody and they can sign and it goes to the CRD and they had the biggest comment numbers ever turned in to any regulation change. It was 1300 comments.
1: Wow. uh,
0: For, yeah, for this um, one regulation change. And 75% of those comments were for the change. 75% were for the change.
1: Wow. And through that 75%, were you able to tell if those were fishermen or just people of the public, just community?
0: So that's that's that I'm so glad you brought that up because that's really important because we need to when you manage fishes, you not you need to look at your whole population. Right. So everybody that holds a license in Georgia, a fishing license in Georgia gets input on this. That's everyone. That's everyone from Atlanta to the mountains of Georgia. If you have a saltwater fishing permit. You get to, you have a say in this and that's, a, and that's really important. So it's not just your charter fishermen, even though they do 200, 300 plus trips a year, like, and they're the ones trying to get this through, everyone has a say in it. So it's really important when I, when I first started this, I was just, I was just focused on my charter fishermen, but then the comment was brought up like, well, you're not including everyone. And I didn't think of it. I honestly didn't think of it but you need to include everyone. And that includes your recreational fishermen.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So um, it was everyone and it was really important. And that was one of the questions within um, the, the comments or uh, DNR survey is, is who are you? How do you define yourself? Are you a charter person or are you a, a recreational angler? Um, Cause those were, are really good s- statistics to figure out um, and how does DNR make your changes? How do, how do they uh, relate back to what your public comments are? Because it all has to do with like, all fishing changes has to go through the public first, because it is a public resource. Um, so it was really maddening. Um, we had all these comments, we had 75% supporting us, um, but then there's this turd, um, and I'm being nice, uh, with this representative up in Savannah, Georgia, uh, he decided to pull weight, his weight and he threatened DNR with pulling their ability to change regulations without going through the state legislators if they passed this redfish change.
1: And that's because his pockets were lined with some organization out there, not because he actually truly wants five fish per person and no boat limit. It's because yeah. he's getting paid.
0: Yeah. And what's what's so maddening about this is that Fishermen fishermen are asking for a lower limit they're not saying we need more fish they're they're asking for a lower limit fishermen mm-hmm. and it's, it's so it's opposite it wasn't your regulators saying oh we've you guys have caught two fish we're gonna change it it was opposite it was opposite so this was just like this really weird conversation that I was having because usually I go to regular you know the legislators or regulators saying you need to increase this you know the guys can't afford gas. You know, shrimp or whatever is, or oysters, like they, they need help. They need to harvest more or, you know, like look at it, look at it differently. But this time I was going to these regulators and legislators saying our fishermen want less. Our fishermen want to protect the generations from here forward. And and that's why we were so upset with this one guy because he can change the how CRD regulates um any types of fishes because right now they can do it in-house through public comment through their board you know that there's still a process but he was gonna take that away and so so we're we're in a holding pattern. We're in a holding pattern. Um now we have we have our we're going through a, a stock assessment right now Southeast regional um area is going through a stock assessment, um, which takes time. And to us is too much time and that it won't be complete till next uh, August, 2024. Wow. So we're going to have to go through this year and next year. And we started this conversation in 2021. Wow. You know, it's maddening. That's crazy.
2: It's just amazing how government can hold everything up. Yeah.
0: And the thing is like redfish, again, if you're looking at regionally, all our partners are low. They're actually going back to you know releasing hatchery fishes, which what we don't want hatchery fishes. We want to keep our wild population genetics, but yet we're harvesting these like crazy. And then even if you go to a lot of people used to come to Georgia for red fishing, but now they're going to Louisiana.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, and guess what Louisiana is doing right now? They're talking about changing their regulations. Mm-hmm. Cause they're the fat kids at the table too. They're at five. I think they're trying to propose three, just like what Georgia's is trying to do is change it. So I don't know. I don't know what, how they're going to get that change, but I sure hope so. Because I mean, this, look at Georgia, we're, we're not doing good. We're not doing good.
1: So let's bring in uh, the science aspect um, when it comes to tagging and, you know, accumulating data on, Your wild population of redfish and your hatchery redfish. I know the CCA here has a really good incentive on um, tagged redfish. Whereas, you know, if you if you sign up and you have, you know, you've caught a redfish that's been tagged by the CCA, you have a chance to either win a brand new boat or a brand new Chevy Silverado, and that's all because you caught a tagged redfish and you applied for it. Are there incentives um, that have a similar effect in Georgia, um, with any tagged fish or tag species such as redfish.
0: Yeah. So that's, that's kind of like another unfortunate, uh, kind of turn of events, um, from this is that the CCA in Georgia has had a steep decline in their um, membership because they really stopped speaking out against anything that DNR was doing. And so a lot of guys just lost trust in CCA. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there is some incentive through our DNR. If you catch, uh, or if, yeah, if you get your tags um, and report your tags, then you can you know start getting hats or um, something along along those lines. Um, but also, what came from the decline of membership in CCA and the inactivity to speak out against DNR. We actually created a um, Saltwater Anglers Association um, where our charters came together. So it's Georgia's Saltwaters Anglers Association, GSAA, where our charter captains come together and have meetings and continue continuously discuss what's happening in the North Coast, Mid Coast, and South Coast. Um, to keep pushing that forward, and so that's where a lot of our uh, initiatives are going to be coming from. And we are, we are planning parties, and uh, we just did a film fest, a fly fishing film fest, where it was greatly supported. Um, and so that that's the type of things we're doing right now. There's just a lot of lost trust in CCA and also uh, DNR. CCA is ch- CCA of Georgia is changing but it's it's hard to get people's trust back um, mm-hmm. once it's lost um and they're just they just figured out that like the coolest thing about this is that everyone came together, they spoke their mind and they they made a huge impact they made a huge impact. It took a legislator to threaten you know to stop this, so they did a great job, and I think they recognize what they've done um even though it's not done yet, it's, it's really frustrating, but they also know that they're, they're not done. They're not done yet too. Um, they get a little tired. We all get a little tired, Mm
1: -hmm. but they're
0: not done yet. Uh, so it's, it's hard to come up with an incentive. Um, so, but they still like to tag things because they love science. They, Mm -hmm. they, they find fish is cool. They, um, you know, want to find solutions to their problems and, um, It's, and another thing, they're just, they love being out there, right? So when they see humanity, they call me to tell me to report it, right? Because they don't trust DNR. So they call me to report it. Or if they're off, if they're near shore and a right whale pops up next to them, they send me all of the information so I can report it. You know, it's, 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 the love is still there. It's just the trust has been lost. So it's work, it's being worked on
1: that's such a tricky like line to walk across too because like you know the cca having the name having the word conservation in the name of your organization and then to lose trust of the people in the community that you know that sucks and you want to be able to help build that back and all you can do with your organization is keep doing what you're doing you know and keep chugging along and and fighting for that change and and you know sucks right now that you're in a holding pattern. But you know, I think when it all blows over, and the change that you s- want to see happens, then you're like, wow, those past three, three years, three to four years of just waiting. Definitely paid off. Um, yeah, which is a great point into uh, the next section of the show. Um Can you how do you see the future of a hundred miles, um, in the next, you know, year to five years? What is, what does a hundred miles look like for you?
0: Oh gosh. Um, that's, that's, it's kind of like a, it's tough, but also not tough. Right. Um, because the changes that are occurring right now are zoning. Uh, we're moving from our agricultural lands to warehouses, right. And it's warehouses, which is, um, on the what's east side of 95, -95, I-95 is kind of like this divider that we have here on the coast and uh, everything east of it has an extreme amount of wetlands. Um, And until the past probably five, six years, the wetlands have been protected. They haven't, you haven't been able to fill them in um, until recently we've had the Sackett chain, you know, ruling and it, and a few uh, former president uh, changed a few laws that you can fill in your wetlands for minor reasons. Um, And they're saying the reasons are now is due to our ports. Our ports are, you know, due to COVID had an explosion of, of increase and uh, transportation. And so we need these warehouses because of our increase in our ports. Well, you know, that's, that's debatable, mm-hmm. but anyways, there. so now they're building all these warehouses and it's in wetlands. And once you fill in a wetland, you lose your filtration. Our wetlands, are kidneys, they filter the water before it gets to our rivers and our ocean. Um, and we're losing that. And it's going to be stormwater runoff. It's going to be all everything from your diesel trucks that leaks, you know, it's, it's all going to run into our rivers. And so, that is our biggest fight right now. So just the visual change of this coast we're we're not expecting. Uh, no one is expecting it because no one's looking at the big picture. Everyone looks at your counties, you know, your your local entities. You only look at your county. You don't care what the next county's doing. But you have to when it comes to your wetlands because it goes back to your connectivity. Your communities are connected. Your waters are your connective tissue. Your lands are connective tissue, and it's all related. So once you start scraping away at it, it's you're damaging it, and you you think you're doing right for bringing in money, but what are you doing to your communities? What are you doing to your wildlife? Um, it's 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 phenomenal of of how fast this is coming. And in every county and each county is not looking at what's happening. So that's that's one thing that we look at. We, we deal with the Corps of Engineers a lot because the jurisdiction of wetlands goes through the Corps of Engineers. Mm-hmm. And so we're trying we're trying real hard to get them to look at the big picture, especially when their permits that they're putting out for public review says due to the expansion of the port. We're like, OK, so this isn't just one warehouse. It's actually 200 warehouses. But they've never looked at a cumulative impact like this before. And they need to. Someone needs to. Um, so we're, we're trying. We're, we're trying. To, we're, we're yelling. We're getting reporters. You know, communities are yelling because they're getting the warehouses. And each warehouse has, what, a 1,000 to 3,000 trucks that will eventually be going there. Right now, it's just dirt trucks that are causing problems. But they'll be having all these, you know, and they're, two lane roads cause they're rural areas, right? Cause you can't build a warehouse like this mm-hmm. within a city. So you build it in the rural areas that don't have the rules and regulations and codes and ordinances to protect people. So these people are just being, they're literally being run over and they have kids, their kids wait on at the end of the, at the side of the road for the buses, just like your kids in the city do, but you're having these huge trucks fly by with no care. Mm-hmm. And they don't have protection. So um, it's the visual change of the coast is, is going to be um, strong. And so that is something that I will be working with 100 miles. I, we don't know what that looks be- what that looks like for, for water. We don't know what that looks like for wildlife. Um, but also another fight is uh, the coast of Georgia. We don't have, we get our water from um, an aquifer. We we can't because um, we're, we're we're too close to salt water, um, so we have to go real deep to the, the Floridian aquifer, and um, we're actually in a few water wars with with our aquifers with Florida. So sorry oh, wow. about that. Oh wow,
1: I didn't know that.
0: <laughs> yeah, because uh, it's it's the same aquifer.
1: You stealing the water in Florida.
0: <laughs> yeah, so uh, we're we're in a we're in a water war with Florida, and we're also in a water war with Tennessee over a lake over a lake. So, but water, you have to really protect your water too um, because you're going to run out of water. Mm -hmm. And it just like, our Florida aquifer is just this phenomenally huge aquifer. And it's not about, so I got West, like you're running out of water. Like you're, you just don't have it. But out here we actually have it. The problem is we're taking it too fast. We're pulling from it too fast. And what that does, especially east side of 95, uh, that divider um, in all of your counties is that if you pull from that too fast, you actually create what's called a cone of depression. And that allows your salt water to come into your fresh water. And so scientists have figured out how much each county can withdraw per day without pulling salt water in to ruin your drinking water.
1: Oh, man. So there's some water pressure issues with your shower heads.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, essentially, I mean, you'll be lucky to have fresh water here pretty soon. Um, But it's it's interesting, like our upper like around Savannah, Georgia, they have they're called a red county because they actually cannot drill any more wells. They cannot um, consume any more water like they have their limit and they cannot cross that. Um, So they're red. There's a few more counties that are yellow, but then there's counties that are green and the counties that are green. Think of it as money, right? Because you have a resource that these other counties want. So now these counties that are yellow or red are now offering these other counties money for their water. But are these counties that are green, are they planning properly for future growth and giving away their water? Because once you start giving away your water, once you start something, you set precedents, and when you set precedents and you change it, that's lawsuits. So um, water war- water wars are real. They're real.
1: Man, you guys are seeing a lot of battles <laughs> here on this hundred miles of coast in Georgia. <laughs> I didn't yeah, think we would yeah. <laughs> dive into so many uh, so many different um, just like tooth and nail battles, man. It's, it's, it's so crazy. And like just being a neighboring state, you know, down here in Florida, I, myself am an avid outdoorsman. I'm a fly fisherman, saltwater fly fisherman grew up, you know, I grew up outside of, um, outside of Pensacola and Fort Walton beach. Ethan's from the same place. Um, And yeah, like I've had the pleasure of experiencing so many different parts of Florida, you know, the East Coast. I'm not really a a landlocked kind of guy. So when you mention like Ohio and like, you know, the flyover states, I'm like, huh, (laughs) I was born near the equator and I got to be in the sunlight. So (laughs) it's like, you know, traveling up to Charleston and visiting, you know, local fly guys there and, and talking to locals there and seeing what their policies are and how how hard it is to make anything move in terms of law and, and policy, it's, it's so disheartening, you know? And then to hear just south of that in Savannah that there's a, a red county there, there's, there's water quality issues. And then all the way down to, you know, the tip of Florida, down to the down to the Keys, there's just water. The topic of water is like, you know, how is this such a wild and conflicting topic that we can't figure out water? how important water is.
0: Yeah, it is. And a lot of it, like for in Georgia and again on the coast, because we have our, it goes, it all really goes back to water and and our tidal change. Right. And it goes back to our our industries, um, paper mills, paper mills, you know, have byproducts. And long time ago, they've built these um, industries next to our rivers um, and they draw a million gallons of water per day on average. And then they put their byproducts in the river because yeah. of our a tidal change. And so it's not only are they using an extraordinary amount of water, more water than a city uses, but then they're also polluting our rivers. And it's, it's just like a death of a thousand cuts. Like, like this is about to break. But what, what is our breaking point? Like no one really knows the threshold the threshold of our water. No one really knows the threshold of how much pollution you can come in. Cause that was a conversation during the golden ride too. Is was like, they had a, a des- designated area. And if the oil that came from the ship again, heavy, um, heavy <laughs> bunker oil um, came from the ship and it drifted too far out of our sound, like pretty much out to sea, they just considered it gone. It's gone. Like it's unretrievable. My God. So, they kind of treat the byproducts like that too. And how can that be unretrievable? You're making it someone else's problem. Um, and like car parts were were floating off, right? Car parts, we found car parts that were 10 miles south on another island, 10 miles north, and then upriver too, about 10 miles. So, there's about a 10 mile circumference um, where we'd find car parts. And that was just car, plastic car parts. So where is this oil going Mm -hmm. or, you know, all this other um, things that you need your car to run with, right? Because all these cars are driven on. So you have, you know, gas, you have your oil, you have your antifreeze, you have brake fluid and you have your plastic parts and you have hydraulic floors. And so we know that with the tidal currents, it drifts at least 10 miles in each direction. But when it goes out to sea, Everyone's like, oh, no big deal. Mm -hmm. And shrimpers are catching it in their, in their shrimp nets. Like that's a problem when a shrimper pulls up a bumper, Mm -hmm. like it's a problem. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Um, And it, and it's, and that's like the shrimpers life. It's not only their boat. It's not only the, their gas that they have to use to pull up that extra weight. It's their nets. It affects their, the actual shrimp. Like that is Georgia. When people talk about Georgia, They talk about shrimp. They show shrimp boats. Mm -hmm. You know, it's all about marketing when you talk about Georgia. But yet, when the shrimp are actually under attack by these pollutants, who's there to help them?
1: Right. And who's held accountable?
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. I mean, like I said, that's that's a million projects and things that you're... I could see the future of 100 miles just being full of Fighting those things. So, you know, once again, thank you for you know diving into what that looks like and some of the bigger issues that you're facing. And thank you for all the hard work that you put in so far with your organization. And I'm sure for any of our female listeners out there, like you can definitely take a page out of Susan's book and you know just like she said, be a good neighbor and uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah. hopefully it'll pull you into a position where you can be fighting and be an advocate um, wherever you are in the world. So. I'd like to shift gears, however, um, into our favorite part of the show, our favorite segment, um, which uh, is in the title, The Wild and Unprotected Side of Things. Um, let's dive into, I know you talked about your, your past, um, your current you know, roles, and a little bit about what the future looks like. But can you give the audience some uh, perhaps wild stories that you may not have told? to the public before whether it have been in you know your past days in the midwest or you know your current time in georgia or even down in orlando what uh what are some wild things that you experienced out there
0: um that's (laughs) that's yeah uh, i i could yeah Spend uh, uh, a, lot of, a lot of time on this because it's you know it truly really is.
1: <laughs> <laughs> My
0: dog's talking. To me. He does. Uh, he too. He like, wants oh, to tell you his go. stories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he wants to tell. Yeah, his, his stories. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he's talkative.
0: Yeah, he's a he's a hound. He's a he's a plot hound, um, and yeah, I don't know. He's just being. He he was in the other room, but then he you know fed eggs and all that. Yeah. <laughs> But um, it's, gosh, you know, it's, it's, it's wild. Like truly my, my past um, working at zoos, aquariums with the DNR, everything it's, it's, it's so wide and it's so, so varied, you know, it's everything from lemurs and dealing with them free ranging and uh, dealing with them when they get um, nervous and they have their um, explosive diarrhea um but then it's also being in Costa Rica darting spider monkeys and uh you know stepping over snakes that you really don't ever want to run into um but one of the one of the funniest stories that um I'll say and I, and I do curse in this one a little bit more than a little bit that's okay um
2: oh, no. oh I know, no I know i know you guys don't. that's scary I
0: know I know but like when you're in public you're not supposed to curse but Um, I I was working at this one place, and
2: no one told me when you're in public you're not (laughs) supposed to curse. I think I I missed that uh that part of being raised or whatever whatever that was.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, I got there was a few you know like goddams you know I'd get you know from my uncle everyone's like goddamn Susan I'm like okay sorry. (laughs) Um,
2: Let him rip. Yeah,
0: I know, I know. Um, so I was going into this exhibit. It was a fox exhibit. I haven't I have. I was fairly new at this facility, so I haven't been into the fox exhibit yet, but we needed to catch the foxes. I can't remember if it was for a hurricane or for, or for what, but we needed to catch them all, and there was four of them in there. And so I was the last one to go in, which is no big deal, and there's um, hot wire, of course, that when you're dealing with foxes, like you need hot wire, and, um, and you don't turn your hot wire off um, when you're trying to catch a fox because once they know the fence is not hot, they climb it and they're out. So, um, everyone goes in, they have, we have nets, catch poles. Um, the vet may have had her dart gun too. Um, I don't remember that part. And, and so I was going in and I went in backwards. I moved back to the exhibit cause so I was closing the door. And as I was going in, I felt a shock of the hot wire. And I was like, dang, I, I, I don't really run into the hot wire. That, you know, it's unusual. So I was just like trying to play it cool, like I'm fine, I'm fine. And then all of a sudden I, I got hit again, and I'm just like I'm still at the door, but it's closed because I don't want to fox zoomer out. And but I couldn't figure out why I was getting electrocuted. And all of a sudden I got hit again because it's a pulse, right? And I got to get in. And all of a sudden I go fuck. <laughs> and my coworker Audra, who's now like my, my best friend, she's she's right next, she's not too far from me, and she sees what's going on, but I I didn't I did I still didn't know what was going on. But again, pulse, I got, I got hit again. And I'm like, fuck me. <laughs> so now it's louder. So now Audra is just, she's, she's lost it. Like she just finds this funny. And everyone else is just like looking at me like, what, what is she doing? And and again, I thought it was maybe the poles that I was holding on to the door. So I let go of that. So now my hands are like this. Um, but I got hit again. So I'm like, God damn it. Fuck me. <laughs> I just kept saying like, fuck me. And and so that, but then again, like as I'm, fin- and then I figured out that there was a low lying hot wire, which is just above like my sock line. <laughs> and so, but I couldn't really see it. I finally, my brain finally realized like it's right there again. But again, as I'm thinking all this, like, cause I got to think it out, right? Let's solve it. Solve it. It hits me again. So I'm like, fuck. Me, God damn it. So then I go out and I just like close the door again. And I'm just like, I I was just like, God damn it. And now I'm just like yelling at Audra, but like laughing, yelling at Audra. I'm like, God damn it, Audra. And she's, she's lost it. She was coming over to you actually at that point trying to help me, but she's laughing so, so hard that she can barely walk. Right. And at that point, as I get to the outside and I'm like yelling, you know, cursing at her. Um, she had a catch pole and of course, you know, catch pole is a metal pole with a metal cable running through it. So you have a loop on one end and a, like a little tail on the other one. Well, she's still laughing so hard and she moved closer to me that she bends over puts her hands on her knees cause she's laughing so hard, but the tail of the catch pole hits the hot wire. So now she's electrocuted in her <laughs> armpit. And so she yells, fuck me. And so, and so now I get inside the exhibit and we just like, we couldn't see anything because our eyes were just like crying because we're laughing so hard. And the vet thought it was hilarious too. She was on the far, she was on the far like right. And she thought that was just funny too. And she's like, are you guys okay? And we're like, fuck no. So we just yelled (laughs) back at her like, fuck no, we're not. No. And then Audra, she, after electrocuted after laughing so hard, she points straight in front of us. And I'm like, I'm like, what? Like the boxes? Oh, no, we didn't close the exhibit to public. So up on the overlook, (laughs)
1: uh
0: there was a husband and wife and they were laughing, hysterical. I think the wife was crying. She was laughing. And I go, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. And he's like, this is the best entertainment I've had on my vacation. And I was like, well fuck me. So I yell fuck me at him too. And um, I didn't get fired, so I'm good. But <laughs> it was it was it was a mess. It was a mess. It was a mess. Like
2: that's the real secrets of the zoo. Oh yeah,
1: my
0: gosh.
2: The real
1: secrets. Oh my gosh.
0: Yeah. I mean it just for me to not figure it out, I was just like and I got I got shocked so many times. I've never been shocked by a hot wire that many times in my life. I've swore that much in my life, but that was, that was, that was just, (laughs) ah, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. But yeah, Uh, it's the funny, it's one of the funniest stories. Cause we all, we all ended up getting shocked by the electric fence. We caught the foxes, no problem. Um, But we just had to get into the exhibit.
1: (laughs) I wish we had the uh, security footage, like in the exhibit of this going down, (laughs) no sound, (laughs)
0: I know, I know. Well, it's good because then I, you know, I yell at the guests like, What's me?" you know, and I'm just like, really Sue, like you, you really have to yell at them. I'm like,
2: I can't believe you didn't get fired for that. No,
0: nah, nah, they they knew me and they, they knew that they were like, they were having a great time. They're having a great time. And so like, there, there's ways, there's ways to butter people up, you know, at zoos and aquariums. And so, um, but I was just like, there's was, uh, I was a mess. I was a mess. And I should have more experience at that point to not do that, but nope, it was just me being me, and uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, like I swear, like uh, even though, like I'm working on St. Catharines where you don't have the public around. I don't think I've that has ever that has ever happened, uh, but it did, and <laughs> it was fun. But yeah, that was, that was, that's was probably the funniest one. I mean, people laugh at me when I get like lemur poop, you know, down my back when I'm catching lemurs and uh, you know, that's, but I don't find that funny. That's
1: a given, you, you know, working with animals, you get covered in poop. Yeah. Just, just how it goes.
0: <laughs> yeah, it is. It's is.
1: It's a very common theme on our show.
0: It is. It, I mean, it really is. And, you know, honestly, you know, uh, people ask, like when I worked, you know, with the lemurs, like if the most of them are free ranging. And so when they're hurt, they they're just like like no leave me alone like but they're out in the open and I'm like I'd prefer to catch them out in the open instead of like in a in a cage, um, but you can lure a uh, lemur into a cage with grapes and bananas just just so you know, uh, just so you know. Um, but um, keep
2: that one in my pet back lemur. in case I ever run into a lemur I need to put into a cage.
1: Next next time <laughs> yeah. you're on the show, you're gonna see Ethan with a lemur on his shoulder. <laughs>
0: There was, there was what is, Look, this is food? <laughs> yeah, there was like a Snapchat filter where there was like a lemur oh, yeah. right here and I send it to my family and my family goes, where are you? Where are you? <laughs> you know, they didn't even bat an eye or even think that it was a filter. They thought it was real that I had like this strange animal sitting on my shoulder, but yeah, but yeah, I always preferred catching them out, out in the wild because lemurs, um, they have a stronger flight than a fight. Um, so it was, it was was pretty easy to catch a, catch a lemur. Uh, So I can give you tips on that if you ever get into a situation.
1: Apparently grapes and bananas (laughs) will have you on speed dial. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. I got this lemur. I'm like, okay, okay. I'll I'll talk you through it. Just watch out for the hot wire.
1: Right. Yeah. I'll be looking for that one (laughs) on the ground somewhere.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: No, that's a great story. I mean, I didn't expect you to, Go dive into a short story of you getting shocked. Um, it's <laughs> You just never know with these things. Cause like, no, you know,
0: no, no. I mean, I could, I could, yeah. I mean, I could tell you stories about boats, you know, there's, there's always the, the, the like these stories and then there's some like, Oh, that's a good one, but we're still keeping that one, you know, kind of not on the DL. Uh, and we're yeah. not really uh, sharing that story with everyone yet.
1: That's yeah. what we, we tell those stories. Yeah. After yeah. That's balance. like
0: beer at the bar. Uh, where no one's recording.
1: Yeah, and that's those stories come out when we're on location after filming an episode or you know doing some video work with you guys, and then uh, we're like you said enjoying a beer at the bar. Ethan's having yeah. a seltzer, uh, yeah. just a b- sparkling water. He he, he doesn't a drink seltzer.
0: Well, that's okay. We can we can come up with others.
1: <laughs> He'll oh, take I'm a sorry. Dr water. Pepper.
0: Take a Dr Pepper.
1: <laughs> but no, that's a, that's incredible. Thank you for you know just. Being real with us for a second. That's what we aim to do on the show is, you know, give the mic to people like yourselves uh, with, you know, great organizations and good intentions and just say, Hey, you know, be real with us for a second, be human and and tell us about what you got going on. And it's been nice to dive into a hundred miles. Um, I know I, I particularly was excited for this episode to hear what you're battling with in terms of redfish and the policy changes. Um it definitely gives me a little bit more to think about when I'm driving through that part of I-95 on the way to South Carolina or anywhere north. Cause it's such a beautiful stretch. I mean, if once you get out of Jacksonville and you pass that citrus Florida sign, thank you for visiting Florida. You're just in marshland. And yeah. it's like, what's actually out here? Who lives yeah.
0: here? Yeah. It's, it's nice. It's, it's a Creek, it's marshland, you know, and it's, that's why people moved here, but then you have people coming in to, um, build on it because they Mm -hmm. that's where they've come from where everything's built on well Georgia's Mm -hmm. not that so why can't we keep it that way and i really appreciate you when you um oh gosh um you're saying oh i can't remember what i was gonna say never mind (laughs) but i was was appreciating what you were saying and i was like oh i need to go back to that but um i can't remember what
1: you'll remember after the show it's okay yeah
0: exactly (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> no, that's incredible. Um yeah, there's so much more to unpack. I, I definitely feel like there's a field trip in the future. Um I definitely want to go explore uh St. Catherine Island. Um it looks amazing. It looks it looks like it could like you could film a movie there. It does look Jurassic almost. Yeah,
0: it does. Um, and also it's it's private, so it's not built up. Um you have a few you have one person that lives out there, like technically one one voter, right, of the county. Everyone else is a guest. And, um, then you have like, you have a little bit of your animals left because there was a separation between the zoo and the owners, but there's still a huge archeology span site out there. It's one of the first Spanish missions. And there was a uprising where the natives are like, screw you. We're, we're tired of you telling us what to do. So they actually locked all the missionaries in the church and burned it. And they, yeah, um, yeah, they burned it. And they're like, cause we're tired of you. We're tired, you know. Um, and so that's that's how the Catholic Church first started here in Georgia. <laughs> not not on good footing. Um, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, like, again, it goes back to history and how human behavior is and how not communicating with your locals and trying to change things, uh, how it's it's not good and it's not healthy and it doesn't last. So um, all of that is. It's it's intertwined and you can't mm-hmm. deviate from that. When you do, you're not successful, your communities aren't healthy, your land isn't healthy, and your water's not healthy, and
1: mm-hmm. and then what do you have left? You got you got yeah, warehouses, warehouses. warehouses and Amazon. What you have left. Amazon trucks. Yep. Well if you hadn't told us about your backstory and where you're from and your crazy journey to get where you are. I would have thought that you were a Georgia native, how well you speak about Georgia (laughs) and how versed you are in all of the issues and all of the uh, possible um, ways to battle those issues. So um, thank you for, for just being super informative on this, on this episode. I've learned a lot. How about you, Ethan?
2: Yeah, um, this is, this is not my uh, cup of tea by any means. He's like, where are the whale sharks? (laughs) It was, it was information overload (laughs) for me. (laughs) <laughs> where where are the whales where are the yeah, sharks yeah
0: actually Ethan we had we had a we had a humpback whale come into one of our sounds uh last year so that was yeah oh, all wow. of us were just like are you, are you kidding me um and it was actually St. Catherine's Sound are you yeah you well i don't know we have orca whales washing up in florida too or not not just washing up we had one die um and was found on the beach but then we also have a few pods out there too so I'm, I'm not sure what's going on out there.
1: <laughs> he heard of that. He heard of that used car part yard sale. Yeah. Looking for, yeah. He was looking for a new bumper.
0: <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> I was, I was kind of hoping that, you know, um, Gladys was going to come over and start setting people straight around here. But I don't know. She's not, she's not coming over.
1: Gladys. Where are you at, Gladys? Who the hell is Gladys? Is that a hurricane? Oh,
0: Gladys is the uh, killer whales that are um and the in Spain or around Spain that are um.
2: Oh yeah, the pod in Spain that are attacking boats. Yeah,
0: and so they're calling the leader. They're calling the female leaders Gladys. Oh my
2: gosh! Oh, I I figured that was more like a Karen. <laughs> no,
1: but Gladys no, Gladys
0: Gladys is, is like tired of this shit. You know, she's she's ready to set things straight again. So I'm like, come on, Gladys, come on. <laughs>
1: Yeah. We need to patrol Gladys on the entire Florida coast Two in Miami and yeah, (laughs) (laughs) as much protection as we can get from these, from these peoples. Um, but no, that's incredible. (laughs) I mean, this has been such a good show, uh, Susan, thank you again. Um, let's, uh, let's, let's start to wrap up and, uh, dwindle down a little bit. How are, how are, um, people able to contact a hundred miles and get involved?
0: Right. So we are on all social media. So Facebook, Instagram. Um, I think we do a little bit of Twitter. I don't, I don't, I'm not a tweet. I don't tweet. Or I guess it's not even Twitter anymore. It's X. Or, I don't know. So, anyways, uh, you can also go to our web page, which is 100miles.org, and it's spelled out. Uh, as 100. Um, And so those are the easiest ways to get get a hold of us. And, you know, on Facebook, we try to put uh, uh, newest uh, articles up about our issues or just issues on our coast too. So you can stay informed quite easily through social media.
2: Amazing. That's awesome. And I'm hoping we'll push uh, some people your way.
0: Please do. And come, come up. We'll, uh, yeah, come up to Georgia and we'll go fishing or just explore some of the islands. So
1: I will take you up on that.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I have, like I said, like I said, I work with a bunch of fishermen and they're always ready to talk about this issue and um, explain what's, what's happening and what they see. And that's, and that's what I always try to explain to these guys is that they get intimidated by talking to the regulators and your legislators. And I'm like, listen, y'all listen to me, goof up talking in front of y'all all all the time. Like y'all, and I get my information from you. So therefore you can cut me out and just go give mm. the facts that you see, because what you see and what you experience is fact. Don't mm-hmm. don't let someone deny that. Um, you know, the only difference between these fishermen and scientists is the fishermen don't write down what they catch. That's you know? true. Mm-hmm. And they don't have to go for peer review. They, they do talk. I guess peer review is at, at the marina at the end of the day, yeah. but, but we don't record that.
2: Hey, look at those ones you caught today, buddy. Y'all get any?
0: yeah or like you know like right now tarpon is is hitting pretty good in georgia so they're all out for the silver kings and um nobody knows
1: about tarpon in georgia don't talk about
0: it don't talk about it. it's not happening
1: that's what they say they're like oh no there's we didn't see any tarpon they caught three yesterday yeah tarpon's like this uh unspoken gem and it's like anyone can go catch a tarpon um no that's 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 crazy i i I see both perspectives, you know, from the, from the side of not, you know, not, not, see not talking about what they experience. And then, you know, also just talking to you because you, you almost break the ice to the policymakers and, you know, the people that have to hear it and for you to be the middleman, it kind of sucks. But at the same time, like we need you, you know, And, um, so maybe any fishermen out there, any, any charter captains or anyone in that space, your voice is important and it needs to be heard. So help Susan out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, no, I think that's a great, great way to kind of wrap up the show. Is there anything else that you want to take the conversation to before we, uh, before we hit close? I
0: don't think so. I've I've covered enough shenanigans and, uh, you know, (laughs) like i said my everything that i do is just is just not a straight line, so it's uh i feel like i talk a lot uh so yeah that's
1: what pod that's what podcasts are for, okay, for good. good.
0: <laughs> no
1: you uh you did great um is this your first podcast
0: um i i want to say yes yeah yeah i've done Uh just more yeah. Yeah, this is my first podcast. I was gonna say I get kind of confused.
1: Another one, Ethan.
0: Yeah, you guys got me. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's that's yeah. Two nice. this week. It's always awesome when someone's like, "Yeah, we've never done a podcast before," and it's like, "Oh, well, this one isn't your normal podcast." So <laughs> when you get yeah, a chance, yes, go back guess, and yeah. we're going to ruin your experience before it starts. <laughs>
0: yeah, I was talking to like with my other fishermen. I usually send my fishermen to do it, right? Because like I like when they talk, right? And that's that's part of my job is to make them comfortable and do it. So I thought about punching this to one of them, and I was like nah, I want to do this one. I'm going to do this one. We're so. glad you
1: did. Thank you. Thank you. Um, well, no, it, in that yeah. case, um, yeah, I think uh, that's a great way for us to uh, close it out. Susan, thank you so much for your time and um, your stories and all your experiences that you've shared. <laughs> it's been a fun one.
0: Thank you, guys. It was, it was a pleasure meeting y'all, and I, I appreciate you um, getting words out about, about all the projects because it just it's that one little spark, right, that you need for someone to do some amazing things. And uh, so I appreciate it.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, well, thanks for being on the show.
1: Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Wild and Unprotected podcast, brought to you by Wildscape Productions. Follow us on social media at Wildscape Productions. For more information on our documentary series, Shoreline Stories, visit wildscapeproduction.com Stay tuned for our future episodes as we have so much more in store for Wild and Unprotected.